and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I don't know. Oh, because right. we're so far in the in the present in the in the past right now. Yes, yes. We're, we're recording. It's a, a week little, and a half. We've done. Yeah. So much who knows earlier. what's happened? Who knows how many how many different colors that dress is now? That's um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that joke is like at the time I'm making it is already dated by Very a few days. So. It's gonna be people are gonna be like what what dress? I don't remember this at all. Um, it's uh, yeah. The, I shouldn't have made the dress joke. Yeah. The last those llamas though. Those llamas running around? I still don't remember what that was. You told me about it, and I still don't remember. Some llamas would run around. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, the last time that we did something like this and said, hey, let's just assume nothing happened. In the right, interim, what uh, the, uh, uh, the everything with the interview exploded. <laughs> oh, that's right. And so, yeah. so then listeners just got a, a nice chuckle. Out yeah. of uh, saying, yeah, nothing happened at all. Yeah, what so, what what uh, what company is going to try and uh, prevent, or what country is going to try and prevent the release of, the release of unfinished business? Do you think? I hope it's us. <laughs> Good God, that's going to be the next thing. Two time Oscar nominee uh, Tom Wilkinson in that film. Um, and uh, classing da- up the joint. Dave Franco's been nominated for two Oscars too, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, Was he the? He was like the really bad plantation owner in 12 Years a Slave, right? Right. And then he played Steve Carell in Fox. That's the one. Yes, yes. Uh, that would explain some things. <laughs> what uh, What else? That's it? I think that's it, yeah. Should we talk about uh, earbuds? It's our favorite. I insist. Um, our favorite topic of conversation is earbuds. The ones that you and I use and swear mm-hmm. by are made by Tweaked Audio. Mm-hmm. That's T-W-E-A-K-E-D Audio. Dot com. These are professional quality sound out of earbuds. They also have ear, over-the-ear headphones, which you've mm-hmm. used. Yes, they're very, very effective. Um, I, I haven't used them because the only person I know has them is you, and I don't want to get cooties. Mm-hmm. So I had to buy some for myself. They also make watches. We never talk about the watches. They do make watches. Yeah, they never sent us any watches. Hey, Bruce, <laughs> get with the program with those watches. Um, yeah, uh, but they make uh, fantastic earbuds and, and headphones in general in a variety of styles and colors. Uh, and they're already... A low, low price to begin with. This yeah, yeah. Is part of their the whole deal to begin with is these are great earbuds at a low price. Mm-hmm. But because you know us, because we think you're cool, if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you'll get everything I just talked about for one third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. So I guess let's just get into it, shall we? We, we have no time for a pre-topic uh, topic yeah. like we usually do because we have a guest. And yeah. we, want, we don't want to let him sit here and, and, and fester. He's already oh, snapped he, how many pictures. I don't even know how many pictures of us. Yeah. I don't, I, wanna, I don't want any of those out there. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to talk about that because I don't yeah. recall saying that was okay. Yeah, I'm going to want to have a look at those. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna you be can like, approve uh, them before I post any. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This, this is going to be outside the Corleone wedding. There you go. Uh, For the listener. Peel off a few bills. For the listener, I do have a camera here. I take a picture a day and a video a day. It has a silent shutter on it, which I use a lot for podcast photography and theater photography. And you didn't even hear it. That's how stealthy it was. Yeah. Which, and it, uh, you know what? It's still, it was still distracting. It was actually more distracting because it didn't have any sound. Oh, interesting. Because I thought, what's going on over there? If 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 I heard like the shutter, I'd say, "Oh, I know what's going on." Right, but now I. That just looks like you're framing up a shot and then deciding again. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know what this no. the light is not good in here, which no, I thank I you. agree with. Uh, so that voice, listeners, you've heard the voice before. It was many. It was a few years ago at this point, uh, three years ago, 
and uh, it was for one of our uh, BP supplements. And uh, but he's back now because he has a, a relatively new podcast uh, that is uh, taken off, and tearing we, up the charts. Exactly, and not <laughs> unlike when he made the Sorkinisms video, I figured, hey, somebody that I know personally is doing very well. I can ride that. You know, we can, we can, yep, let's get on and ride, ride together straight <laughs> to the top. But yeah, to cash in that chit. <laughs> oh, chit. Well done. Thank that's you. That's what you do. Cause for a moment there are chits. Yeah. All right. Man, go on. I feel like that word should be discontinued, right? <laughs> What's the origin of chit? I don't know. Well, I remember at school. Well, we back, used yeah at yeah. the the film cage at our film school because we went to film school. Yeah, you know, that's why we know that's why we that's why they let us have a podcast because we yeah. went to film school. It's like Chits Ahoy over here. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah, we, we use Chits to get our film back right once yeah. it's been processed. But that's it's a that's a thing. Anyway. It's a currency. What is it? It's just like a like a I'm about to find out. I don't know what you'd call it. Like a token of, of or some kind. According to um, this search engine that I use, uh, it's a, a short official note, memorandum, or voucher. Voucher Tip, typically typically recording a sum owed. Which is why right. I say you mm. cash it in. Makes sense to me. Checks uh, out. Have we said your name yet? Nope. nope. Okay. <laughs> it is uh, ho- co-host of the Gilmore Guys podcast and the creator of the Sorkinisms video series at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's Kevin Porter. Kevin, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here, guys. This is fun. I'm glad you're here. I I'm love a good time too. I love doing podcasts. <laughs> I love hosting them. I love guesting on them. It's like it might have become my favorite medium at some point. I which is kind of a controversial statement, right? Cuz it's so low grade and like people think of it as disposable entertainment, but I think in a way it's the most personal kind of entertainment. I think they're wrong by saying it's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There are maybe 3 of them. Mark Marin hosts one and obviously Adam Carolla hosts another one. And then, and then this us. one. And then us. But yeah. now there's Gilmore guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then entered a fourth <laughs> to challenge the the ring Leader. So tell us about Gilmore Guys. So, I mean, we know what it is, but for the listener. For the listener. So Gilmore Guys is a show in which I and a uh, gentleman named Demi, a uh, who's Off-putting. never who, yeah. <laughs> who's never seen the show before. Um, we go through every episode of the show Gilmore Girls, and we talk about it. And we have guests on the show um, who have either like seen it before or they haven't seen it before. A bunch of variety of people, comedians, writers, actors. And we're starting to have some of the cast and crew from the actual TV wow. show Gilmore Girls on the show uh, this past weekend. And it'll, it will have come out by the time this episode comes out. Uh, we did an interview with Sam Phillips, the composer. Hmm. And also a singer, a brilliant singer-songwriter, and Helen Pye, the co-producer, one of the supervising producers on the show. So we're trying to like expand kind of the scope of it, not only just to be a commentary show, but then also an interview show to kind of get into like the making of it as well. Now, okay, there's a few questions I have and sure. a couple of statements. <laughs> now, David and I used to live together uh, many years ago, and our third roommate, Cole, uh-huh. uh I, rem- I have a very specific memory in which you, David, were a, were a big Gilmore Girls fan. Yeah. And Cole, trying to be uh, conciliatory, d- 
decided he's going to sit down and watch it with you. And after about seven minutes, he let out in a very loud scream <laughs> and stormed out of the room because he could not take that kind of banter and wow. went insane. Why Do don't I remember, remember this? No. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious. I remember when Cole just through being in the apartment, never sitting down and watching because I was rewatching Buffy when mm-hmm. we lived there. And in the season two episode, like Cole had never sat down and watched an episode with me, but he yeah. just knew what was going on. He was like in the kitchen making eggs or something. In the season two episode where Buffy, Buffy finally tells her mom, Joyce, Joyce Summers, about being a slayer. Uh, Cole like comes out of the kitchen. He's like, Buffy told her mom she's a slayer. And then he's like, why do I care? And just went back to making eggs. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember. I don't remember this Gilmore Girls story. Oh, boy. I, I have a very, very specific memory of it. And so... Could you uh, mimic the sound right now, if you could? Uh, it was something to... I'll have to move the mic back okay. a little bit. It was something to the effect of just... Ugh! And then just, and then just left. And so... Um, so, that was my... And at the time, I, I knew nothing said, about... That's, that's how I feel when you and Tyler talk about God. Fair enough. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Is that really how you feel? Uh, when, no. When Cole, when Cole and I talked about it, I could see that. Yeah. I, but yeah, I, I, I was I was usually able to extricate myself without uh, a big dramatic sigh. I appreciate that. You just kind of <laughs> faded into yeah, the yeah. into the paneling. So just so I'm clear, we're equating uh, Gilmore Girls to an infallible deity. Yeah. Right now, in Apparently, terms of conversational. Yeah. At least the first few seasons, right? Amy Sherman Palladino is <laughs> is my god. Ooh. Uh, Did you like Bunheads? Did you watch that? I didn't watch it. I heard it's great. Oh, it's great. We're going to do it after we're done with Gilmore, guys. We're going to do Bunhead Bros. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you hold on, because yeah. maybe after the podcast, I've, sure. got, I've got a pitch for you okay, sure. that you've probably heard already. In fact, I'm going to say it right now. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, say it on the show. Yeah, let's um, When you guys are done, you and I need to do Gossip Guys. Gossip Guys. I've never seen Gossip Girl. I assume uh, that's see, what... See, then the, 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 Are the you dynamic obsessed would, with change, would change. Yeah, Gossip Girl is the best. Or it's... <laughs> it's it, the it, best? For two seasons, it's a fantastic show that people... Uh, people who watched it got it, but mm-hmm. a lot of people dismissed it. Okay. And then it went on for four more seasons of just recycling the same storylines over okay. and over again. But... Um, it, it is uh, a, a really uh, it is a show that I like quite a bit, but we're getting too serious. Here. Yes, I so it's not good. Uh, so I'm gonna silly. put a pin in that, and then yeah. we'll talk about it later. So I wanted to tell <laughs> that story because that was the really the first, uh, the first, not even interaction because I was just a passive observer. Uh, the first thing I associate with Gilmore Girls is my roommate screaming and leaving. And then my wife, and then my wife got uh, got into it, and she really enjoyed it as well. And so now my question to you, Kevin, is this: Why, why, why Gilmore Girl? Like, a, why do you like it in general? Not to imply you shouldn't, but what you know, what is it that appeals to you about this show? And then so much so that you felt like you needed to make a show, you needed to make a podcast about it. Well, there's a couple of things. I genuinely was a fan of it growing up. I remember when the season one DVDs came out, I must have been like 13 or something. This was like 2003. I was stoked to get them and to rewatch the show. And like, I I didn't watch it from the very beginning when it came on in 2000. I think I was like 10, but I do have an early memory of watching it, like just seeing a glimpse of an episode then. But I was legitimately a fan of it. And it's one of those shows when I revisited when it came back on Netflix 
it did hold up in a way where it wasn't totally just nostalgia. Obviously, there are some nostalgic elements to it that did maybe I probably forgave a little bit more than other people might. But I think, one, it's a quality show, like super quality. And then, two, because there is the perception that it's it's a it's a chick show for chicks. It is like any other, you know, it's like Dawson's Creek, but just with a female bent. Like it's that sort of disposable, kind of like teenage soapy entertainment. And I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And so our show <clears throat> and then three, because it's an easy hook. Like I, I'd been wanting to <laughs> I mean, truthfully, I wanted to start a podcast for a long time and I couldn't think of anything that would be an interesting hook at all like what can you do and not like going through a tv show episode by episode by episode is original at all there's literally a billion of them there's probably like five gilmore girls podcasts at this point <laughs> but i think doing it from the male for the, from the lens of a male perspective for a show that people often perceive as being primarily for a female audience because it was created by um you know female writers and and actors we talk about on the show how like the show it fails the reverse Bechtel test in that in the first five or six episodes there's not two guys that ever talk to each other (laughs) which is awesome because that's that's like the a great problem to have we have plenty of the opposite already so I guess it was for all those reasons Mm -hmm. and it just yeah it just felt like it was a meaty topic because it's not perfect. There's stuff that's dumb about it, but overall I love it more than I don't like it. But on the show, we on the podcast, we've been able to kind of have a loose grip on that and we can take a few steps back and say, "Oh, this was dumb, right? I hated this thing." while still loving and praising like all the other elements of the show that do work. So we can self a critical eye while still being mostly positive about it. So let me ask you a question about the show. As a fan of as a fan of of, of Gilmore Girls, um, Paris Geller is she a, a annoying uh, and uptight, or is she a, a misunderstood hero? Misunderstood hero, and one of the best characters in the show. Hands down, you and I are on. We're, oh yeah, we're on the same wavelength. Okay, there. Liza Wiles' comic timing is perfect on the show. It is so so good, and that's one of those performances. I think when I was younger, it. It wasn't as good, and I did not enjoy it as much. But it's one of those that age so well. And you do see her as like, yeah, the misunderstood genius. And uh, yeah, definitely one of the best characters on the show, for sure. She's on uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Yes, she is. Yeah. I feel so I feel I feel uh, so bad that I've never watched a full episode. I've I've sat down and watched uh, some scenes here and there when as Jen has been making her way through the series as so many other people are doing on Netflix because she watched it before and then got away from it and is now returning to it. And so I'll sit and watch some of it. And while occasionally I do understand uh, (laughs) what can just be what will just be referred to as the coal instinct. Uh, you know, I, I just come to view it as like, well, this, what, this isn't meant to be our reality. It's not meant to be, you know, the wire or Friday night lights or anything like that. This is a heightened version of the world we live in, but that's based entirely on just the few, you know, the handful of scenes that I've watched. How would you, how would you guys uh, real quick, just using the wire as the paramount like i'm gonna start a oh, podcast a ex- yeah. i'm gonna start a podcast called wired guys where <laughs> down to the wire just, every episode is just me from a contrarian point of view saying look mm. it's good it's not that good that's she- essentially what it's gonna be yep. 
That's what I want to do. Anyway, sorry, finish your point. Uh, so what I was going to say uh, before you totally uh, cut me off at the knees. <laughs> you know, your, I, we, but no, no, we all you know, have so, certain like you know bet noirs, <laughs> and one of mine is that everyone treats The Wire as it's the greatest, uh, as, as if it's the greatest uh, achievement in television history. You know, the minute I said it, I actually thought, well, there is a gritty realism to it, which is what I was talking about. But it, even then, it's there are very specific storylines and character types that I feel like you would only run across on TV. So even that, so, which is why I jumped to Friday night lights. Cause I feel like that's a much with the exception of the first few episodes of uh, season two. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like that's oh, a most much of season two. I would say, well, uh, you know, gosh, um, I don't know. Can, I, 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 we watched some of it and I, I felt like it found, it got back on track pretty quickly. I thought after season two, but season two, we're talking about the Landry murder. We're talking about shark blood in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't watch that far, but I remember okay. the Landry oh, murder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, what, what, what is what is your issue with the the story of Jason Street going to Mexico? <laughs> I mean, if like the shark if blood, because re- the shark blood thing is not supposed to be taken seriously. The whole point is that he's delusional. Yeah, but it just wasn't fun to watch. I think is is probably my point. And then he gets a girl pregnant, right? By the end uh-huh. of the season, La- yeah, nothing in season two held my interest. And truthfully, if I'm being honest, if we're going on a little Friday Night Lights tangent. I love parts of the show, but overall, I think it's more pedestrian than people regard it as. I think the amazing... Well, is, that nece- is pedestrian necessarily um, a, a derogatory term? Yeah, just because the language isn't ornate, like no. an Aaron Sorkin <laughs> or Gilmore Girls. <laughs> no, no, no I don't... people don't use eight words when they could use two, you know. <laughs> oh, come on, y'all. No it, no, it has nothing to do with language or anything, but I think most of the stories having to do with the kids... In the show, like having to do with the students and the football players, you could see on most other TV shows. But it's the way in which they're executed that's interesting. Oh, like sure. in terms of like the direction, not using marks and having like three camera guys go doing the 16 millimeter or whatever. And then the marriage on the show, I think, is the the big thing that's like head and shoulders above anything else. Mm-hmm. But overall, like I find the student and the, and the kid stories a little bit lacking in interest for me. I actually find East Dillon to be a lot more interesting than hmm. just regular Blue Dylan. Hmm. Tyler doesn't know what you're talking about because he didn't get that. Well, I, but I, but even I uh, picked up on certain things like on Facebook and stuff while things were were happening. Okay. Enough to know that I like. It's like okay, East Dylan seems to be. I guess I got to start watching this show again. It does feel weird, like th- that the show was five seasons and three of those happened before East Dylan was even part yeah. of the show and yet that looms so large in my memory of the show i think you have a good point but then east dylan also gave us epic which is the worst character oh sure. line uh one of the worst ones they did so not the unsung hero of that series uh epic yeah no okay and she's a great actress though who is it um she was um brock's mom on breaking bad you know um uh jesse's girlfriend who had the kid oh yes brock, okay yes yes oh breaking yeah bad. Um, she was, uh, one of, um, Ray Rano's employees at the party store on men of a certain age. Uh. <laughs> oh, Pardon oh me. Che- Chewy just walked in. Hang on. <laughs> we gotta do so, that. There's another podcast guys of a certain age, right? Ooh. It's guys. You've talking got a about whole, you've got a, a whole limited run happening here. <laughs> yeah. Um, or should it be, it should be men of a certain guys. I think men of a men certain guy, just men of a guy's age. That's not confusing syntax. <laughs> uh, so, but my question is, so I was talking about realism. Uh, so Gilmore girls does seem to exist in a sort of a parallel universe. 
Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean to say that even in a, in a derogatory way. Is Would would you guys characterize it that way? You know more about the show. Here's what I, I would say about that. I think the style of the show certainly is that. But I think the relationships around which the show revolves are very emotionally grounded. Like the core of which, if you were to describe them, some of them are a little pie in the sky and some of them are idealistic. Certainly Lorelai with Rory, that's like an idealistic situation where there's like mother, daughter, and they're friends. But things like uh, Emily Gilmore's relationship with Lorelai, Richard Gilmore's relationship, her, um, or even Paris and Rory's relationship, those are pretty well emotionally grounded. They're not too broad and cartoony, even when the dialogue and the style in which they're executed can be from time to time. And I think this is what you're talking about is some the reason I loved Gilmore Girls. The reason I like I mentioned Gossip Girl, the early seasons of that, yeah, How to Get Away with Murder. Like a lot of these shows that are seen as on the surface, uh, I think this is what differentiates. Uh, I, I, I get kind of um, I get kind of up in my soapbox about this, but like real TV fans versus. Johnny Come Lately's people who think TV started with the the recent golden age and that um, you lost. Know, that, <laughs> no, but I mean more like like that your your Mad Men's or you're the Wire people who the well, Soprano, of, Sopranos probably kicked right, it which off. is which I and that's true. Like Sopranos is like one of those things that's great that spawned a bunch of bad shit too. Like I think people getting into TV and expecting the wrong things out of it. They expect everything to be either be Mad Men or be not good. You know, there, I, I oh, think what, what you're talking about actually with the Sopranos is actually, that's a good, I think there are certain people who think that there wasn't good TV before the Sopranos. They might not say it like that and maybe that overstating, but I think there are some people who feel that way because I don't think they have the, um, sophistication or, 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 um, patience to get into something like Gilmore Girls and understand that this is a way of television storytelling. Mm-hmm. You can have things that are heightened or, or, or that seem uh, frothy, but there's real emotion churning underneath. And that's something that TV can do that movies can't because TV goes on so long. Right. And I think the storytelling on Gilmore Girls, there's things about it, even revisiting it now and having a little bit better of a vocabulary for like storytelling and cinematic conventions and stuff. There's endings on the show that are very cable where it'll end on a bummer note, like Richard Gilmore drinking in his office alone, no music, credits, where it's like, oh, I would be more likely to see that on cable, I would think, than like a WB show for young adults. So there are certain things like, you know, scenes they play totally dry and then just like stories that take a long, long time. They don't test your patience, but are just kind of slow burns that I find to be very cable-esque on the show. And this speaks, David, to some of the stuff that you that you and I have talked about on the show before, uh, you more than I do because you know more about TV. But like um, this idea that when Sopranos came along and then just HBO in general kind of just got a little bit rebranded um, at, with, you know, probably Sopranos and maybe Band of Brothers – uh, Arliss. Deadwood. Arliss, obviously. Uh, Dream, Dream on. on. Dream on. <laughs> With uh, Brian Benben. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's nice to know we're on the same wavelength there. Uh, but just think, shows that are that do have a cinematic quality to them. And then Deadwood, Deadwood comes along with like great production values in Rome and that sort of thing. So I keep focusing on an HBO. And that did seem to change the way. Some networks approach TV, but I think it got to the point where where everybody approached TV like that. And then when you run across a show that 
is kind of old school and it's, right, and but, it's like you, you're a big fan of the good wife, which seems very much like not a throwback, but uh, right, not necessarily but, Soprano in the Sopranos era. Yeah. And I don't say that in a negative way. The best example it isn't okay. the best example. Um, but Jen's I do been, think Jen's been watching that too, by the way. And I've been watching it with her from time to time. Um, no, I, but I think as much as I've been getting up on the same, uh, uh, soapbox again, I'll use that term for years now about, about people who, came to tv from being film fans and Mm -hmm. like sort of i think condescendingly say oh now tv is good enough for me to care about i think i've been saying that for years but there has been a turn in recent years where you see and maybe the good wife is part of it because it's a 22 episode season with self-contained stories Mm -hmm. um that you know people tend to think of uh just over serialization serialization is a mark of serious Mm -hmm. uh television which is uh, i think um a fallacy but uh, especially recently with uh, and I wrote a thing on the website a month or more ago about this, but with the types of people who like that kind of your AMC, FX, HBO type of TV now getting into scandal, I think is like that's a sign of things actually changing. People are mm-hmm. actually starting to take TV seriously um, on its own terms as opposed to viewing it um, as uh, – a, a you know cinema's little brother <laughs> yeah i was gonna say movies light but I, but i didn't mean it as in a negative term but like the way some people see it yeah i think that's how a lot of people have seen it and i think um the the success of scandal and the popularity of scandal and how to get away with murder um and maybe empire i think now uh do you watch empire i do watch empire i hear it's real soapy and campy and awesome it's, i need to like you know who it's written by right well um danny strong danny strong created, yeah doyle um, one of the characters in Gilmore Girls. Right. Oh, okay. But yeah. I, he'll always be Jonathan from Jonathan Buffy. from Buffy as well. Uh, which me. I find to be Gilmore Girls and Buffy, by the way, very closely related. In that on Buffy, the metaphor for whatever the kids, the Scooby gang was going through was all the monsters and stuff. It was a physical manifestation of that. But you didn't have to, like these conversations didn't happen. Well, you know, Buffy isn't realistic. It's not very true to life. Yeah. Like you would hear about a show like Gilmore Girls or to a lesser extent, uh, the West Wing or any Sorkin TV shows as well. Mm. Um, but if you just suspend your disbelief and say, okay, that's the device. So on Buffy, the device was the monsters and all the creatures and, and the horror and whatever. And on Gilmore Girls, it's language. And that's just it. It's like mm. a Howard Hawks movie. Mm. But That's a great comparison. Yeah. yeah. And, and an interesting fact, Amy Sherman Palladino said that she would often write Gilmore Girls while her Buffy DVDs were playing in the background. She said that was background noise for her. So they're very. That's very insulting to say about a TV show. I don't. Okay. I don't think I touched a minute. It's just background noise. You know, whatever. It's. it's Well, I think that's what I feel like she's saying. It's shit, right? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to speak on her behalf. Oh, I've never met her before. We don't want to build that bridge Uh, or burn that bridge. Pardon me. Right. While you're building it. Now we are building it, brick by little brick. (laughs) So now, if I okay, now I might be wrong about this, but I remember I was talking to you about. Uh, your podcast are you you're not doing the whole run of the series right no we are you are you are now we chain okay so just to catch up anyone who's not familiar with gilmore girls um for seasons one through six of the show amy sherman palladino who created the show ran the room 
and then I think starting season two or three, her husband Dan did as well. They're kind of like the co-executive producers who like every decision passed by uh, by through them. Like the, one of them was always on stage. One of them was always editing. One of them was always in the writer's room. And they worked like seven days a week for six years. And then when the end of season six came, they asked for a two-year renegotiation for their contracts and more money so they could hire director producers and more writers so they could have a day off. WB said no, and they walked. So season seven does not – they did not write it. They have no involvement in it whatsoever. And for a show with such a unique voice and a specific voice as Gilmore Girls, yeah. the result of – I've only seen one full episode from season seven, and it was not great. It Gosh, was the I'm finale. trying to think of a corollary. In TV uh, be, of when this sort of thing has hmm, happened before. David, obviously you're talking about community. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, but, uh, community was, and the West Wing. No, the West Wing is, the, is the, what I was saying because you're the Sorkin guy. And I will. T- I, I, I don't know if you know this. The listeners probably know this because I've said it a million times. I've watched the first four seasons of the West Wing time after time after time. Right, but five through seven. It's I've like, never, never seen them. You've never seen them. Never seen them and probably never will. Yeah. It's like starting in season six, it's like a different show. And you know, with the I same remember, sets and actors, and yeah. Now, if I'm not names. mistaken, I think maybe yeah. the very first conversation you and I ever this is had, October 2009. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, is Halloween. I remember this. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the very first conversation you and I had about uh, about the West Wing and mm-hmm. how I actually uh, liked uh, the last few. Se- I mean, I, I I enjoy all of it. There's but, merit uh, to it. I mean, yeah. Alan Alda's great. I like Jimmy Smith. There's yeah. definitely merit, but it's just a different show. It's not the show that people fell might, in love with. And it might be the sh- like for me, all of the uh, little Sorkin flourishes. Once they got rid of those, I'm like, now I'm paying attention. <laughs> Even though that, but that's not true at all because I've actually gone back and watched the the entire series. I yeah. think twice, and then go back from time to time and watch certain seasons. Usually starting with season two, actually. Um, just cause you I really hate, uh, Mara Kelly. Oh, Mandy, Mandy, Mandyville. Uh, but, um, but yeah. And, uh, but I do think that it's just, I feel like some of what the characters do, uh, is interesting. You thought that five, six and seven, the characters are completely inconsistent with the ones that well, were created. Season five was a nightmare. I do like six and seven, but aside from one episode written by, I want to say Deborah Kahn called the Supremes, where they that, like, that is the one that I always go back yeah, to. Where they like Lynn Close to be the yeah. next Supreme Court justice. And William Fickner, yes, he's in that as well. Yeah. But other than that, season five is a disaster. It's so so bad. It's it's so clearly in a, a in transition. Obviously. They made it, it. It was almost amazing that they made it simultaneously stupider and more boring at the same time. <laughs> like the characters, what they're saying is so broad, but you don't care at all about what they're saying. Like instead of like, you know, Sorkinese, there's always kind of the air of authenticity, at least certainly in the West Wing, maybe not in other shows, mm-hmm. but there's the air of authenticity. What they're saying could be realistic. Mm-hmm. You're not quite sure. Cause you're just kind of caught up in it. Yeah. And then season five, it was just like, this bill is bad. I don't like this bill. I want this bill to pass. Like it became real broad and wonky and yeah, didn't care for it. I did like the first few episodes when they're still dealing with the repercussions. Yeah, yeah, with the repercussions. And I'm just a big fan of John Goodman. Who isn't? Nobody I can think yeah, of. Yeah, that's why. I- um, yeah, everyone loves John Goodman. But uh, he's a good man. Oh, I. Uh, well, that's it for us. He's we a good go. man.
loves his mama. Okay. There's not as much singing on this podcast as listeners, there is on mine. Is there? <laughs> so listeners, as we've just as we've just revealed, Kevin and I have known each other for several for many years. Almost now. six years. Almost six years. Wow. And it's it's weird how much I continue <laughs> to hate him <laughs> so much and yet still love him uh, you know, unconditionally. How can you not? <laughs> yeah. You just revealed the full cowboy shirt Monty. there. It's That's like the shirt, shirt that Borat wears when he wants to ingratiate himself to uh, Southerners. <sighs> I can't refute that because I'm not familiar I don't see enough, this as a cowboy shirt. I see movie. this as it's, like yeah, new age guy whoa, <laughs> shirt. Oh, neither of which is flatter. Which Santa one are Fe? you more insulted by? And oh, you have crystals. You light incense and you look at crystals. Oh, crystals, yeah. I'm equally insulted by both, if that makes you All feel right. better. Well done, David. It see, looks like when a, you like host a, a show for a while, you get on the same page about some things. <laughs> and uh, that shirt being horrible is Oh, one well, I like the shirt. Oh, I'm just right. saying. Thank I, you. It, it calls to mind certain ideas of guys like like balding guys with ponytails i'm neither bald nor the pony. right my hair is luscious who are getting into tantric sex yeah. that sort of thing i've not gotten into that um yet and i have no doubt that if 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 any uh if any of your listeners have migrated over here the gillies uh, we call them the gillies what was that? do you really our listeners are gillies that's true so we like gillies what's going on you know <laughs> some people really jump on the branding thing and, and we did uh, i mean it's so dumb right it's such a dumb name well, but we love it <laughs> it works it works like there's no there's battleship pretension doesn't lend itself to anything like that. Uh, the, the, the battle seamen. bots the seamen how yeah. about battle bots what was that why don't you call them the battle bots and then we could but then we'd have to have bill dwyer on here on here to an host arch barker an arch oh, robot arch barker. did you see that they're Carnage. reviving that they're yeah reviving i heard battle that. bots yeah, yeah. Which that was a reference on Gilmore Girls and like season two, Dean was super into battle bots. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that makes more sense. But I also remember was it season one where Dean was like uh liked Dinah Shore? Oh right? Dinah Shore. I'm not sure. They're like, why, I, I can't remember yet. who it is, but like they're watching some old sitcom and Dean's like, I love this. Basically, oh, he loves it's um it's not Dinah Shore. It's uh, uh uh not Peggy Lee. What the hell is it called? Oh my gosh! I'm failing. <laughs> Patsy Klein. It's not Patsy Klein. It's that. Uh, it's the sitcom where it's like she's the good little wife who makes the dinner. Donna Reed. Da- Donna that Reed. damn the damn Donna Reed show. Yep, that's what it is. That damn. Yeah, Donna. I never bought that. Dean would like care or know who Donna Reed is. I think it, the idea was uh, Lorelai and Rory were showing it to him for the first time. He's like, no, oh, this okay. seems pretty cool. I like the idea. She's always cooking and she's there for the guy and blah, blah, blah. You've seen, obviously seen it more recently than I have. Right. A couple months ago. Um, well, we're back on Gilmore Girls and I want to talk about Melissa McCarthy. Oh, I uh, love her. Just that, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that she's had... Like By far the most successful career of anyone involved in that show, which I find to be super fascinating because you would not have pegged that in 2000. Like, oh, clearly oh, yeah. this is going to be one of the biggest comedy movie stars in the world right. yeah. in like 10 years or 15 years. And it's interesting. But I think what fascinates me is that that show was popular and she was a very popular character on that show. So she was successful already. And yet, like a lot of people had not yet really heard of her. Now, everybody knows who she is she's right. a name above the title well the show is never that huge so as far as like cultural saturation goes being a part of the supporting cast for that show 
because it never did huge numbers. They always like they always kind of on the bubble each season, but mm. had, had so much critical acclaim that it was kind of a it wasn't exactly a Parks and Rec situation, but it wasn't like a hit by any means. It it's, did okay. You this know? might be an example where everyone I knew right. at the time <laughs> watched it or oh, was aware of yeah. it, but uh, but at the same time, I loved it pretty insulated yeah. uh but i mean um, right which would mean like parks and for me like just going by anecdotal experience equals ratings parks and rec is the biggest show in the world oh yeah and the two and a half men is a is a dud yeah. <laughs> is yeah. a, like crash and burn yeah yeah i don't That's know insane. or ncis or whatever the hell yeah you know? but um yeah the, the other difference between gilmore girls and parks and rec though is that at the, on the cw there's a or the wb there's a the bar's lower, you know, as far as as far as ratings. They don't have to. They're, sure. They're not expected to get as much. So Although if NBC was pulling in the numbers that Gilmore Girls was in the 2000s, right. currently in 2015, they'd have a party. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> ooh, it's bad. It's bad over there. It's astonishing how, because I think because I think you and I both know somebody that worked on Parks and Rec, and yeah, and uh, so he we was had just one of the writers from Parks and Rec actually on Gilmore Guys as well. Who was that? Uh, a woman named Aisha Muharer. Um, she, uh, is, was a writer on Parks and Rec for several seasons, Mm -hmm. not the whole run. I think she might've come on season two or three, but Gilmore Girls is her favorite show ever. Hmm. And so we had a blast with her on our, on our show. She was like super, cause sometimes people come and they've like never seen the show before. They give me a shot for the first time, but she was like, she said like, I have so much, so many pent up feelings about this show. (laughs) I've never had a platform to express it. This is amazing. So we're definitely going to have her back. She's writing a pilot with Amy Poehler right now. Or she's writing the pilot Amy's producing. Yeah. I think it's about church. I'm not 100% sure. Oh, somebody told me about that. Yeah. A listener of uh, More Than One Lesson said, hey, have you heard about this? And I was like, I, I have not. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. When it Once it's three seasons and then maybe I'll I'll talk about it. But, uh, <laughs> wow. But yeah. Um, but yeah. And so this uh, so this friend of ours like just kind of told me, because I, I tend not to follow like ratings or anything, but he just talked about how like so much of the that it got to be just a joke, just how horribly NBC was treating Parks and Rec. Like, people would laugh about it, but, like, in, in an incredulous laugh. Like, how is this possible that this show that gets decent ratings, and after a while is kind of their only comedy to speak of? Decent ratings relatively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was never... Isn't it crazy to think that at one point in time, especially when we look back, like, a year from now, too, on one night, on, like, a Thursday night on NBC, you could watch... The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, 30 Rock, switch it over to Comedy Central, Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. That will not – all those shows are gone <laughs> by next year. Yeah, well, no. and the and the idea of uh, like must-see Thursday, which was Done. an NBC thing for like 20 years. That's the slap cra- – what's it called? Slappy? Slaps Ahoy? What's that new show they have? The, I think it's just slap. called The Slap. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Although I think I'd be more interested if it was called Slaps Ahoy. Okay. Um, but uh, so I want to transition into um, into the West Wing a little bit, but also just Aaron Sorkin in general, because it is, you know, it's when when I think you had told me that you were doing you were going to do this Gilmore Girls show. I remember thinking, thinking like, well, I didn't know you were a fan of the Gilmore Girls. But then I thought, how could you not be? Both that being such a Sorkin fan, mm-hmm. because they're like brother they're, and sister in yeah. terms of writing style, and they're both good at different things too. What we found on the show, because this, the topic actually comes up quite a bit, like people say, "Oh, it's like Sorkin esque," or it's like trying mm-hmm. to be, but it's not quite. And what we, my personal opinion, I won't speak for my co-host, but or any of our guests, but my personal opinion is that um, 
Aaron Sorkin's amazing at dialogue, right? We can all agree, like on a scene to scene level, on his best days, he's the best. But as far as long term storytelling goes, he often drops the ball. There'll be uh, characters on the West. I mean, we joked about Mandy. Where did Mandy go? Who gives a shit? Like she went to Mandyville, which is like no one ever spoke of her again. Yeah. Ainsley Hayes Ainsley is Hayes, another yeah. example. And then just like weird things with like the MS storyline on the West Wing and certainly things on the newsroom, which was a real disappointment. But Paladino, while the dialogue is a little more pop culture saturated, definitely may, way more reference heavy than Aaron Sorkin stuff. She's amazing at long-term storytelling and plotting things out for seasons and having arcs that like have purpose and drive and momentum and have slow burn and have, you know, intention. Well, her stuff seems to be more character based. And even though Sorkin creates strong characters, the nature of the West Wing is that, you know, a crisis is coming up, come up. So we need to deal with that. And so if you're talking about, if you're, Basing a, a long-term story arc on a on character's relationship, you can draw that out a little bit more and have more of an end game in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why I'm even saying that. Like based on one show that I've seen very little of, and another one that actually I've seen quite. No, a bit. But, I, but, I, but I haven't seen any of them. I saw the first episode of the newsroom and uh, didn't care for it. Right. Well, and and for Sorkin, I think conflicts often go to like. Everything's the most important thing in the world. Well, ever since Sports Night. Sports Night, that wasn't the case. It was just like, oh, people trying to do a good job. But ever since then, like Studio 60, this sketch comedy show (laughs) is the most important. We have an opportunity to create national conversation. We have to do sketches about Comedia dell'arte. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Gosh. Or Crazy Christians. That was the real controversial (laughs) sketch on that show. Whereas uh, instead of like, false stakes or false weight given to conflicts on Gilmore Girls It's or like other Paladino projects it's like oh yeah that's just what it is like oftentimes we talk about on the show a lot like the episode conflict we're like wait what is the conflict here sometimes we have to search for it it's like I guess it was kind of this fight like it is a little more true to life in that sense where every day is not the most important day of your life right like on Gilmore Girls things just kind of float in and float out in terms of importance sometimes fights happen and sometimes they'll go like three episodes without a major like conversation or like you know butting of heads between two characters so in that sense the stakes are a little more they're not lesser but they're just lower key i mean they're literally lesser and that's not national security or like doing a news show or doing a sketch comedy show (laughs) (laughs) or what have you so um it's been a while. It has been a while since we. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> that is why I rephrased it. But I, it would appear I was too late. <laughs> Feels good. Feels real good. <laughs> I feel like you're outnumbered by people with people with similar senses of humor here. Oh man. You and I also have a similar sense of humor. Why can't? Kevin be outnumbered. Wouldn't that be nice? I think we're all laughing at the same things here. <laughs> Look how much you're laughing, Tyler. Tyler's holding his sides and laughing silently yeah. right now. Actually, yeah. the listener can't oh see this. Oh my gosh! It's, yeah. I feel like I'm getting a workout. He's, anyway. on, he's doing one of those silent laughs where all the air escapes before right. you can make a sound. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the hell was I saying? You were saying it's been a long time. Yes. You could say. (laughs) Who does that song, by the way? Stained. Okay, yeah, yeah. With no E, just a D. Oh, I don't care for that. Not even an apostrophe. Nope. I don't believe so. No. No, It's like like trapped. T. 
T-R-A-P-T. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is at oh, all. Oh, they trapped make stained sound like the goddamn Rolling Stones. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> A glowing endorsement. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when you were on talking about uh, the first Sorkinisms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we talked a little bit about your, your impetus for doing that. And since then, you did a Sorkinism part two, and then you did one that was based, that was primarily newsroom. No, no. No, that's right. You did one about Aaron Sorkin's view of the internet. That's true. Which I loved mm-hmm. because it's fun watching somebody who's a bit out of touch, uh, which yeah. is not a thing that I think Aaron Sorkin would ever uh, think of. Uh, that, But it's just when you – and to see it all put together like that. Actually, sorry, I won't talk about it. I will throw it to you, and but we'll go back to the original Sorkinisms, Sorkinisms and the uh, – and the the sequel um what what is it and how did you decide you wanted to do it so sports night in the west wing i pretty much grew up on not when they were originally on but when the dvds came out again just like gilmore girls it is interesting that this will that'll probably never happen again by the way like someone's origin story for a tv show won't be I got the DVDs and I watch it. It'll be like, yeah, I saw it on Hulu. <laughs> you know, like it, it won't be that even nostalgic where it's like I had a physical thing or like, because mm-hmm. Sports Night I got for Christmas. My mom bought it for me for Christmas. And I think season one of The West Wing was like the following year hmm. or the year after. But I remember growing up, growing up on those, loved them. I would I ripped the audio from the DVDs and made CDs of them, like made my own personal podcast of them and fell asleep listening to them. So I got so... I, uh, uh, familiar with like the rhythms of it and the dialogue. I really internalized it over the course of years. And the result of which is I, I definitely sent some overlap and I could sense some, like, you know, when Studio 60 came out, I was like, oh yeah, there's definitely some similarities here uh, in characterization, but even in like specific lines. But then when the social network came out, I remember seeing that with a couple of friends here in LA, actually. I was like, oh, there's things that are directly like verbatim that's from sports night that's from the west wing that's from studio 60 that's from some other movie that he wrote or whatever and so that's when i that's when i kind of set out on the project like oh i'll put them all together because i think it'll be fun i wasn't even the first one to have this insight like lists did exist on the on the internet like on like forums and stuff television without pity i remember there was like a thread of them um of like oh similarities or like overlaps or whatever so it definitely wasn't like the most original idea but i guess i was the first one to just put them all together in a video form and not just like in text form so i did that and i worked on that on and off for a couple years and i put it out the day after the newsroom premiered on hbo probably a good call it that was more than half of it that was more than half of the whatever how many views it got or whatever the success was was sheerly the timing of it and the fact that he was like a topic again like if i'd put it out even like a couple months before or after like it would not have made the impact but it became a new story then deadline.com picked it up and entertainment weekly and la times and blah 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 um and so that was fun that that was fun to one of the best ones was hearing brian williams on i think it was the rock center was he, he had a TV show oh, yeah, on yeah. at that time. Yeah. It had since been canceled. But he said, a video artist named Kevin Porter put together. Like, that was a fun moment. And then, <laughs> Do you consider yourself a video artist? 
Well, Brian Williams did, so I'm not okay. going to deny him that. <laughs> Everything that he says <laughs> yeah. is it's true. Yeah. 100% true. Why Gospel. would we doubt it? <laughs> no reason to doubt it. Yeah, he's had a flawless track record. So, uh, so yeah, that was great. And then I did a follow-up the following year. That was uh, not as widely watched, but some people watched it. I don't know. And then another one the year after that hardly anybody watched. <laughs> Even though I t- personally, I think the editing in, in the second and third one is much better in the, than the first one. Like there's things when I watch the first one again that bug me so much. Like just like little technical things like audio edits I didn't do correctly. So there's like a pop sound or like just like different things where there's too much dead space. But whatever. It was fun to do. And it's fun to hear from him, too. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Tell that story. Well, just when Brian Williams did the thing on Rock Center about it, I did reach out to Aaron Sorgan's publicist like, hey, I, you know, I didn't mean it as a mean thing because I truly didn't. It was like, you can't you would have to be insane to put that much work into putting something <laughs> together. Where literally I watched every single thing he had done up to that point, which he hadn't done all three seasons in the newsroom yet. But it was still hours. 80-something episodes of West Wing, 50-something episodes of, uh, or 40-something of Sports Night, and then every movie, in Studio 60. So yeah, I had to watch a bunch of it, and I wouldn't have done it if I didn't love it and, and love his stuff. And then, so I reached out to the publicist and said, oh, hey, I, it wasn't, I didn't mean to like, because people on the internet were like, Aaron Sorkin's a hack, and this video proves <laughs> it. This guy's really taking him down a few pegs. And I was like, oh, not, I just thought it was funny. Like, I don't fault you for it, blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote a long email to her, and she just wrote, she, she, I remember she uh, wrote two things back. She just said, thank you for your email. Your video was unfortunately timed in the midst of an unpredicted firestorm. It was very incendiary language like that. So I was like, and she said, I'll pass this along to Aaron. I was like, okay, well, I'll never hear from them again. And then a couple days later, I did get an email from Aaron Sorkin, who was gracious as can be. Mm -hmm. He was like, I watched it. I thought it was funny. You know, I didn't take it personally. I thought it was fun and consider me a fan and a friend. And that was very mind blowing. And that meant a lot to me to hear that from him. So he was super cool about it. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard from him since then, but, <laughs> but I do remember he. someone did an interview with him about like, oh, did you see that video? He said, well, I actually, <laughs> I don't think we talked about this okay. last time we talked about it, but he said, uh, you know, actually the, the guy who put it together emailed me and he was mortified people were taking it the way they were. I wasn't mortified. <laughs> Let me just be clear. I was like, oh, my stars. I was like, oh, that's interesting. But he's like, yeah, we, we're, we're friends now. We've been emailing back and forth. It was something like that. I was like, I'm mm. sure when you heard that, you're like, oh, boy, <laughs> I guess I should email him. <laughs> I'm going to be your new assistant. Uh, but no, that did not come to pass. But that was really cool. That was a cool result of it. So I want to get to, because the one that really, words like incendiary, uh, to me, the third one you made, which uh, is about the way he depicts the internet, the internet or, or and however, technology. Yeah, uh, talk a little bit about that as well, because I found that one really uh, interesting. This starts from there's an episode in season three of The West Wing. Uh, I forget the name of it. Is it the U.S. Poet Laureate? I believe it is. Where Josh Lyman, uh, played by Bradley Whitford, goes on an internet forum. And he tries to interact with people who are like fans of his because in this universe, people who are the deputy (laughs) chief of staff have fans. Sure, why not? Uh, And 
he tries to interact with people on a forum. He gets backlash. This is all based on the actual thing that Aaron Sorkin went through on television without pity.com. Yeah. So he, this was the first of what became many in his career ripped from his own life, write what you know, literally stories that he did. And th- I think this is where his distrust of the internet and technology stemmed from and he's very old guard <laughs> and so it started in that it continued a little bit in studio 60 it was definitely present in social network and mm-hmm. then i think it reached its apex in the newsroom where just every other word was something um you know derogatory about blogs like blogs were the f word on the newsroom like it was just the most you have a blog and and uh, jokes about twitter and just about new media in general as uh, as exhibited in the character of Hallie and Jim and Hallie's uh, relationship. So once I noticed that, I wanted to put those together on one thing. So I didn't put that out until like a couple days before the finale of the new, the series finale of the newsroom. Uh, and it wasn't very widely watched, but I was really proud of it just because it, it did present a pretty complete mm-hmm. whole of his views. And, um, and I have to credit a friend of mine for, you know, telling me to put this at the end instead of in the in the meat of the piece, is the button at the end is him, Aaron Sorkin himself on Stephen Colbert. He was doing an interview for the Social Network, I believe, and uh, just talking about technology and you know social networking, blah blah blah. And he said, "Well, I actually think, um, you know, social networks are to socializing what reality TV is to reality." And the crowd goes, ooh. <laughs> and then that's how I ended the video. Yeah. So it was fun. It didn't get that widely passed around, but yeah. I had fun putting it together. As somebody, yeah, as I was watching it, I, because here's the thing. I, David can attest to the fact that for a long time I wasn't a big Sorkin fan because of the way that he wrote. And as time went on, and David was very was instrumental in helping me to look at his writing Just a wearing way. you down. Yeah, there's that too. Um, but like between between you and Jen, both big West Wing fans, um, I think I wing started. Nuts. What was that? Wing nuts. Is That's that what actually, they call them? Uh, sure. Is that true? Uh, I don't know, but I have, I have a T-shirt that says Wing Nuts on it that I bought from uh, Television Without Pity. Okay, it's getting a lot of shoutouts in this podcast. And for a site that is now defunct. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. Video Gum too. Did you guys used to read that? What is it? Video Gum? No. Uh, I mean, I know they were related to Stereo Gum, right? Right. They were related to Stereo Gum, but they were amazing. Uh, Gabe De La Haye and then uh, eventually Kelly Connaboy and a couple other writers. It was kind of an offshoot of Stereo Gum, but it was my favorite blog. They did recaps huh. and they did like articles that were <laughs> just had such a great comic voice. Anyway. Well, I... Uh, I st- he's uh, me just uh, dropping uh, <laughs> dropping my cred here. Yeah, let's do I it. I started watching. I started reading Television Without Pity back when it was called Mighty Big TV. That's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was when Aaron Sorkin yes. commented and on so it. So I yeah. read it at that time. <laughs> right. I, I remember that very well. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then and then and and years ago, uh, a site that you and I enjoyed, Fame Tracker, that went away too, and that which was is a- closely related to Mighty Big TV. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Fame Tracker was a great site. Ah, what a bummer. And now Radio Shack's leaving. Anyway. A moment of silence for all our defunct websites. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll drop a sponsorship in there somewhere. Um, but the uh, what I was saying is that, um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Sorkin for a long time. And, and uh, so I don't want to seem like I'm being negative about him now because I do love the West Wing. 
and I love social network. There's a lot of stuff that he's made that I really enjoy. I think I actually like his film work more than his uh, TV work. Well, he's better at telling shorter stories than longer ones. I, yeah, I guess that that's makes the sense. whole point. Like, and that's why he has said himself he's done with TV. After Newsroom, he's like, I don't think I'm going to do another TV show again. Mm. You guys are too mean. <laughs> because <laughs> Newsroom wasn't... I mean, he didn't say you guys were too mean, but that was what I took from it. Well, and I wonder if maybe, you know, the having certain types of directors make his, you know, direct his scripts, like a Bennett Miller, like a David Fincher, you know, they are both very... It sounds strange to say down to earth. Bennett Miller is a very down to earth director. And then David Fincher is a very methodical director. And I would say there's nothing necessarily methodical about Aaron Sorkin, nor is there anything really down to earth about Aaron Sorkin as far as his writing. And so you get these two directors who kind of their style runs counter to his. And so but then he also elevates them. And so you wind up with something as effective as social network and, in my opinion, Moneyball and I feel like that's some of the best stuff he's ever been associated with. You know what's interesting about Moneyball is I did watch it for Sorkinisms. I couldn't pull one out of it. Because yeah. I think he co-wrote that script. Well, I read a... With Steve Zalian, I, I want to say. Well, it started sure. with a guy named Stan Shervin. I read a, I read an early draft. There's before, a lot of rewrites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, this is really good, but I feel like we need to focus more on the character. And... um I say we. It was for a production company that did not make the film. Um, hey, guys. Uh, the unpaid intern has some thoughts. Um, but, uh, but the thing that got – but he, he does have certain instincts that, that frustrate me and just the way that he treated, uh, treats the internet. And I recognize when it hasn't treated him well. No, um, but that's a two-way street. Like yeah. the internet – I remember when I was first getting the West Wing, there was tons of love for that all over mm. the place on the internet. I think once you methodically and constantly devalue a whole medium, like yeah. anyone who writes, like Vulture, uh, which is a great entertainment blog offshoot of New York Magazine, in my opinion, I read that daily, and it's not catty, it's not, it's not gawker, defamer, or something like that, or Jezebel, but like when you lump everyone into the same boat, yeah. then people are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt, in yeah. my opinion. And maybe the tide will turn, maybe he'll, you know, I feel like not, because I just feel like it's him railing against people who don't acknowledge the idea of gatekeepers anymore. Because mm-hmm. new media is everyone, it's still a democracy and sort of a meritocracy, but it means that the guy who's making the web series on Vimeo, has is equally as valuable as his movie and mm-hmm. he doesn't like th- it this is what i perceive it to be i have no idea but just the idea that like well, well you guys are great friends you email all the time well yeah and we've texted, about yeah i actually just got a text from him right now <laughs> he says how's the pcast going winky face <laughs> and i'm gonna send him back a selfie let me take it right now <laughs> just do my lips out mm-hmm. silent shutter mm-hmm. Yep, silent shutter. <laughs> uh, but that's what it seems like to me, is he feels threatened. Like, that was the whole conflict on Newsroom. It was like stodgy, old-school journalism. Essentially, Keith Olbermann, or whoever the hell Will McAvoy was supposed to be. Mm. Probably Keith Ol- Olbermann uh, avatar, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, versus, like, new media. And new media is not valuable because old journalism has ethics and we do the news and blah, 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 and da, 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 da. So and that's then, why of course, I, appropriately, we talked about Brian Williams earlier in this episode. Right. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, as it turns out, uh, I guess I guess some people can fail and some people can yeah. can do better. And it's, uh, yeah. Um, oh, shoot. What was I going to? Ah, 
I, I want to talk more about that, but I feel like uh, we should probably start uh, moving towards uh, an ending point. But uh, yeah. David, uh, David, um, I forget. Did you see the? Um, did you see the internet uh, organisms? No, I haven't. I only watched the first one. I didn't, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's. Sorry, uh, I'm not offended. It's fine. <laughs> Very <laughs> few people watched it, but I'm it still deserves happy to be watched it. because I do think it's an example. David, you, I believe the very first time you were you and I were on Slash Filmcast, we talked about uh, State of Play. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, based on. Oh uh, right. Yeah. Based on a mini uh, BBC miniseries, it was actually quite good. But that movie the miniseries was yes, yes. The the movie was not. Um, and it is featured dull a lot as of dishwater. I think is the uh, is the saying. That's a, is dishwater dull? I mean, com- in you know. color. Oh, okay, fair enough. Right, because it's like gray. Okay, I see what you mean. All right, what yeah, is yeah. state of play again? Of uh, it's it's that question. <laughs> uh, now it's <laughs> no, got Russell Crowe and Ben Affleck, and it's uh, Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell yeah, Crowe. But is, watch uh, the, the BBC miniseries is fantastic. It is very good. I think I I think I have it. I can. Yeah, it I know it. you do because I. I watched it when I borrowed it from you. Oh, indeed. Um, but yeah, and that that's one where it talks about like, you know, being a reporter and all that. And there's little things like uh, they print a story and and this this uh, one, this young girl who's I think Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, yeah. Yeah. And she's the blogger for the newspaper and Russell Crowe's the the, the grizzled, you know, yeah, just the grizzled veteran and stuff. And and talks about like, you know, when people read a story like this, they should have newsprint on their hands or whatever. And it's just like, who gives a <laughs> shit? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still a part of me. I mean, I'm, you know, on a recent episode, I talked about how much I loved going back to, a, you know, finding a video store in the valley and going to that. Like, I, I cling to old things as well. And I recognize that that. But you probably have the appropriate perspective of it. You're not like literally valuing the old video store over the convenience of Netflix. Like, right. I still have a, a number of streaming services. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the things, again, I don't want to just turn this into like an Aaron Sorkin bashing thing, but you no, know, I, and he, obviously he's so amazing. And I, again, I hope it doesn't come off as critical because I think we can all agree. Like social network is one of my favorite movies of the last 15 years mm-hmm. or so. I think it's almost perfect. And he's like, I would not, he's one of the, Seriously, the primary influences on the way I even talk, because even I, even in doing our pot on uh, the Gilmore Guys podcast, just having to talk that much publicly, which right. I've never had to in my life. And to listeners like don't know we've actually been walking up and down the hall in time. <laughs> yeah. This whole, whole podcast has been a walk and talk, <laughs> but there's certain Sorkinisms uh, that'll a, a slip conference. out. A peta conference, if you will, <laughs> but certain certain Sorkinisms will slip out. I like I didn't even know we're in there. Like the other day, I said, "Well, I guess you got the fuzzy end of that lollipop," which is from, <laughs> which is not even it's it's a Sorkinism, but it's referencing some like it hot from like fifty years prior to even that, or more than that. But yeah, so it's still in there. So we're definitely not bashing him. I wouldn't say, but it's good to keep a critical eye on it. I think so. And and frankly, when you. Know, we think of directors as 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 auteurs, but I think when you look at somebody who's as prolific as Aaron Sorkin, you can look at it that way as well. And especially, I don't know especially if Especially in TV where yeah. the Does writer he qualify as a showrunner? Yeah. Uh, he was for, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he is for... He kind of co-show ran because he was never involved in the directing side of all. Okay. But uh, him and Tommy Schlamy. Yes. Who has the best name, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Schlamy. Uh, I'm sure the school schoolyard bullies were like, we have nothing else to add to this. He's also from Houston, Texas. That's true. <laughs> Wait, what? What? 
Why are you Why are you saying that? Because I too am from Houston. Oh, Texas. I didn't know that. Did you oh, say that before? Nope, not on this I podcast. I was oh, okay. able to sort of follow. Sometime okay. in the last six years, I've said it. Well, because <laughs> it seemed pretty clear what you, why you were saying. Well, yeah. I thought maybe Aaron Sorkin was, and I was like, I don't no, think he is. He's and from so, like Scarsdale. Um, but yeah, and so I feel like somebody like a David Milch or any or any number of uh, like mm. TV guys are are sort of auteurs as well, and really uh, any. The, the way people approach any film director and look for, you know, themes, uh, whether positive or negative in their films, I think it's worth doing that for somebody like an Aaron Sorkin. And you being a big fan of his, you can st- you're in a unique position to look at this thing and say, wow, he really he really does not trust the Internet. That mm-hmm. is a thing that has come about over the last several years. And uh, and especially with something like the newsroom that approaches media and reporting, you almost, you know, I feel like it was the fundamental flaw of the show too. And I feel like so far out of his way to do that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's not all that, but, um, it's not the Nickelodeon sketch show, all that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but the, in the premise that the show is predicated upon, which is like, we're not doing news, right. we need to do news, right. And what's the answer. That's the problem. What's the solution to the problem. Will McAvoy doing the news. And it's like, it's so basic and old fashioned in a way that's not charming. West Wing was charming in a way because it was like very Frank Capra esque. That's Mm -hmm. one of the big touchstones to it. I think even Frank Capra's name dropped in the American American president. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't know who Frank Capra is. Exactly. Um, But on Newsroom, it just seemed like the world, when, when the show premiered three years ago in 2012, the world had grown. And the internet had grown into a place of kind of an essential part of everybody's lives that that brushing off things that are legit problems and like the decimation of information and truth and saying, okay, it's complex, it's complicated. But what's the answer? Will McAvoy. Just seemed like such a like an old man thing to do. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel like – because when I go back and watch The West Wing – I do see definitely a Capra-esque quality. When I watch Social Network and even Moneyball, which I know like he he's just one of many contributors, but even that has like one guy fighting against the system and he's then there's a great deal of cynicism to it. And then the newsroom, do you feel like as he's gotten older, he's just gotten really like he's he certainly certainly sounds like he's dug in his heels on certain issues and he's just gotten kind of cynical and maybe even a bit angry. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, although you could <laughs> you could make a trajectory, at least of his TV shows, which all have pretty similar premises, behind the scenes of a TV show. That's three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them is just the White House, if the White House was a TV show, I guess. But in terms of the lightness of touch that all the characters have, mm-hmm. and Sports Night, it's a breeze, and it's real fun, and the cast chemistry is like pretty flawless, in my opinion. That might, I mean, there is no weak link in that cast. And by the time you get to the newsroom, th- that lightness doesn't exist. There's just such a weight to it that sometimes is earned, but oftentimes isn't. But the kind of relationship that like Dan Rydell and Casey McCall have on Sports Night, 
that doesn't really exist on the newsroom mm-hmm. anywhere. Everyone's kind of yelling and Matt, like Will is just a crotchety old man. And that's supposed to be the funny part of his character is how he's yelling all the time. Oh, you know, I hate blogs or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was he played by Jimmy Stewart? Yeah, you oh, did whoa, 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 Merry Christmas, you old blog and Twitter. Uh, but that doesn't exist on the newsroom, and that was starting to go away. You could even see it on Studio 60, which by all accounts should have been the lightest of all the shows. Oh, it's making a comedy show. What's a writer's room like? Obviously, everyone works hard at comedy, and people who write comedy take it seriously, but man. Gosh, you would have thought they were like solving the Israel-Palestine conflict on that yeah. show and from I, every I episode. People who write comedy generally aren't, or at least aren't necessarily like com- comedy historians. The way these characters, oh my were, gosh, you know, uh, like having Nate Cordry, you know, talk to his dad about Laurel and Who's Hardy. Who's on first? Yeah. Oh, oh my or gosh. The, or the, the one with Eli Wallach as the uh, like blacklisted writer that was so heavy handed. Yeah, sometimes it is just fart jokes. <laughs> and you know what's funny is that Studio Sixty has, in a strange way, become a part of comedy history because. It is, and this is probably a very insular perspective, but it is, it is still a punchline in like at least the alt comedy scene. This one show that was on for 22 episodes for one season, there's a sketch show running a UCB sunset. I forget what it's called, but the, the tagline was blah, blah, blah. It's like birthday boys on the sunset strip. <laughs> <laughs> and it became such a, there's still fake Twitter accounts yep. for, for yep. Matt Albee that are just like lambasting the the seriousness and the bravado of the show. What do you think of all the, um, the, the, the Sorkin parody sketches in particular, the, the Amy Schumer one. I don't know if you saw that. That's the Amy Schumer one was the food room. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty great. (laughs) Have you seen that? I did. Yeah. Well, I mean the fact that they got Josh Charles to do it too. Mm -hmm. Cause I hear that he didn't, he didn't get along super well on set of sports night. Like that was the gossip is like, he was a little more diva ish than all the other cast members were. Can I cite my sources? I cannot. But I do, <laughs> I do find like that... I, Josh Charles is one of my favorite American actors working today, but I do get the impression that uh, he um, might be like that when it comes to TV, because I think he was like that on Sports Night, and then with The Good Wife, he Isn't essentially that funny? sort of yeah. like... Uh, he's like, All right, I've done this for Peace four out. years. Yeah. Like, get me out of here. Right. <laughs> but no, I thought that was super well executed. Um because they didn't just nail the... Because I feel like there's been a billion, oh, let's walk and talk down a hallway. Ha, ha, ha. Like, there's been a lot of those. But the there was actually a thesis behind that sketch on Inside Amy Schumer. Like, there was actually a perspective on it that wasn't just, hey, recognize this thing. You remember that from this show? But there was actually something they were trying to say about those things. And, yeah. yeah, I think that's what, that's what makes it the best one. Yeah, and I also like the Seth Meyers one just because it... I don't know if you saw that one. It's just like... Did you not see the it? one? The one memorable thing Seth Myers has done in a year of late night. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you did see this one. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. where you, Aaron Sorkin's in it, he has a little cameo at the yeah, end. Yeah, the the premise is that they're having a uh, Aaron Sorkin type walk and talks and discussions about whether or not they're going to do an Aaron Sorkin sketch to do with hmm. an Aaron Sorkin parody sketch. And in, okay, to me, good. it's one of those meta cop outs because they even say in the sketch, Amy Schumer did it the best. There's no way we should do it. And it just seemed really right. It was okay. Not that level, it but was I do fine. Think it's, yeah, I think it was stale by the time they did it, though. In my opinion, what they could have done is having not seen it, but like if they were going to reference Amy Schumer, what you, what you do is that you have somebody come and be like, "Amy Schumer's already done it," 
and just and they're like, oh no, we got to go on the air and let everybody know that we. We weren't trying to rip her off or anything like that. <laughs> uh, my favorite bit, actually, is when they have the uh, uh, the Aaron Sorkin cameo. Right. And he's like, uh, 30 Rock already did it. I was in it. I was great. I laugh every time I watch it, and I watch it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great joke. That was a great joke, because that was such a funny cameo. <laughs> um, so we've talked about Gilmore Girls. We've talked about Aaron Sorkin. There's oh, yeah. one last thing we need to discuss. The Lord. Now, what was that? The Lord? Oh, my. Uh, that's for my other show. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Years ago... Well, okay, so my friends and I have a weekly movie night. I, unfortunately, don't go as often as... I, okay, you know where we're headed. Okay. I don't go as often as I used to. You used to go... Many years ago, you used to go uh, relatively frequently. And now, for you, it has dropped off to once <laughs> to a year. once a year. <laughs> you go to movie night once a year. Now, that sounds strange. What is it, what's so special about that one time a year? I feel like we have an opportunity here, Tyler, yeah. to tell your listeners about something that I think is one of the greatest pieces of filmed entertainment in American history. Yeah. Or not filmed. It was on video. Videotaped pieces of entertainment in American history. Yeah. In 1960, or no, it was 70s. 70s. That, was, that, that was 76. 76. It was 76? Okay. I've got it up right here. There was a special that aired called the Paul Lind Halloween special. Yeah. What I recall at the time that we saw it, this must have been 2010 or 2011. Yeah. It was years ago. Our friend Josh, your co-host for More Than One Lesson, he was working at a DVD factory. Like a Is warehouse. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. That just like some sort of warehouse. And, yeah. So he was like, I got this. This looked kind of weird. You want to watch it before the movie? And, it, and he brought it for movie night. Yeah. <laughs> and we were going to watch some Halloween thing, but we thought, yeah. oh, what the hell? Let's throw It's only an hour. Let's throw yeah, that let's in. Yeah, let's throw it on. If only we'd known. <laughs> If only we had known what this movie was going to oh do to all gosh. of us. It was going to consume us every <laughs> Halloween. Like once changed my life. Once I late, still haven't seen it by the way. Uh, oh, once late dude. September rolls around, that's when everybody starts to be like, "Hey, uh, <laughs> when are we? Uh, when are we going to start watching this?" And that's when I start getting emails from you <laughs> saying, "Hey, uh, when so is uh, Paul Lind on the schedule?" The Paul Lind Halloween special. I can't. To try to describe it in words would just not do it. And the first time watching it was such a magical... I regard that as one of my favorite times watching any TV show or movie ever. Oh, yeah. Because the sheer out-of-nowhereness of it. Like, you know when you see a movie and you have low expectations for it and it, like, meets them and it raises them. It's like, it feels like one of the greatest my things you've ever seen. My expectations go up every every year. <laughs> Even though I know what I'm going to get. And then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, I, I even forgot. Hi, I even I'm forgot. Paul Lynn. Well, someone Somebody had, had to, to be. be. <laughs> and, just, and then just, I remember there's, oh my gosh, I don't want to even describe it that much, but I'll say that he's granted wishes by some <laughs> witches, one of them played by Margaret Hamilton. Margaret Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. And of, the uh, one from H&R Puff and yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah, Witchy Poo or whatever her character's <laughs> yeah. name is. But anyway, he's granted three wishes, and he wishes for maybe the least Halloween-type things ever. He wants to be a... Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you should give it away yeah, or yeah, let I the listener find it. Say, yeah. I haven't say, seen it. Okay, I'll say one of them involves... I won't go into any detail except... Um, <laughs> <sighs> involves him saying to this woman... Uh, <laughs> It's one of my favorite lines, and you know it. It's one of the only things that makes me laugh, like, genuinely, instead of laugh at it. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I remember I saw, uh, I saw you in the desert milking a cobra, and I said, that's class. <laughs> 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 it is, 
listeners, if you can find the Paul and Helen special, it's is on it? YouTube. Yeah. Okay, seek it out. They put it up and then take it down every couple. Of okay, years yeah. Or so. But then they know we need to do this for posterity, right? Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's we've got a ways to go till Halloween. But go ahead and save it because it's there's so much Halloween spirit in it. I'm being sarcastic. We're talking not that Kiss, much. Florence Henderson, yeah. Donnie Marie Osmond, Absolutely. Tim Conway, yeah, Pinky Duskadero. Yeah, they're so all there. Good. And li- yeah, one of my favorite, one of the hardest I've ever laughed in my life is watching the uh, bonus feature of the trivia. Oh. This was a couple years ago. Oh that went gosh. yeah, uh, that's something you will not find on YouTube. So no. seek out so the yeah, DVD. Maybe seek out the DVD. And it is, and so I'll, we quotes, won't spoil that. Yeah, there are quotes from his life, and it'll be like it'll be like Paul Lind on food. Okay, and then it will be about how like I didn't eat very much because my. Fa- my family, my, my father was uh, abusive and disapproved. And it's like, that's not really about food. And we <laughs> didn't know this going into it. And then it all slowly dawned on us at the same time. I remember I fell down like crying. Like that was, I hurt so and much. I feel so terrible laughing because uh. it's all about how horrible his life is. <laughs> what I'm laughing at is not his bad life. It's the way the DVD Because there's makers. like little music playing behind it and <laughs> like quotes fly in. Like it's meant to be oh, the most entertaining so thing. Meanwhile, like you will not find more self-hating quotes. It's it's like a parody of something. Oh, it's so good. And it's well, just think, marvelous. Yeah. yeah, we should cease this conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, about and the, desist. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to uh, spoil it for people like me. Oh, boy. No spoilers. Uh, who's never been invited to watch it um, with the group. You're invited Ooh. to movie night all the time. Uh, I, not anymore, I'm not. Well, I, I admitted, think I... Admittedly, I don't go that much. I, well, I think I've made it clear that <laughs> I'm around, not going, apparently. Around Halloween, yeah. we'll extend the invitation, and you can sit back and watch Porter. Oh, sorry. Uh, I forget that we're supposed to call you. I'm supposed to call you Kevin. You can call Free, me whatever you want, KP. bro. I know. For... Capo, that's that's what. Or uh, Kevin some... T. Porter, as I'm more famously known. Oh, nice! Watch out. Um, <laughs> I've not earned that middle initial at all. <laughs> what does the T stand for? Is Todd. It... Oh. What? What did you think it was? I was hoping it'd be Tyler. No. Because then that'd be weird. Because my dad's name is Kevin, and your middle oh, name would be Tyler. Uh, my dad's name is Todd. Uh, oh, my dad's middle name was David. Whoa! <laughs> and that is it. Is time to leave. Yeah. All We're right. Done. Um, <laughs> Thanks for being here. Where, where can people find you? Oh, my gosh. Well, you can find me on... Uh, thank you for having me, by the way. This was so much fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, fun. Twitter, at Kevin T. Porter. Instagram, at Kevin T. Porter. If you want to check out my Instagram, I'm pretty fun on there. And then you can check out the show, Gilmore Guys. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, at Gilmore Guys Show. Find us on all the places. And then also, I want to plug my co-host, too. Demia eBay who I was actually, I was a big fan of before I even met him because his Twitter is so good. He's at Electro Lemon mm-hmm. on all the platforms, especially great on Vine. One of the only people that's actually good at Vine because it's not, yeah, his Vines are just amazing. So check him out too. And seek out uh, the various Sorkinisms. Especially Sorkinisms let's, let's is on YouTube. Hits, let's get more hits on that uh, that internet one. Yeah, Sorkinisms 3, Aaron Sorkin on the internet. Yes, good stuff. Yeah. All right, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where this podcast is and all the other podcasts in the BP fleet, as well as all the uh, crap that we write, uh, movie reviews and other uh, thoughts, um, uh, all at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at The Pretension, and please follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Um, 
Now, Tyler, your other podcast is, we, we've mentioned it uh, a number of times, it's called More Than One Lesson. That's right. It's at morethanonelesson.com. Mm-hmm. What's going on over there this week? Well, uh, let's see. By the time this goes up, there will be a mini-sode about The Last Emperor, uh, the Best Picture winner of 1987. and then David we, Spade, great movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's one where he's like Cusco, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. Patrick, for a minute, I was like, for a minute there, I was just like, yeah. what does that have to do with Tommy Boy? Um, <laughs> but uh, so we talked about that. And then we talked about um, uh, we did a full episode about Foxcatcher. And then I will say, I don't know when voting ends, but more than one lesson has been nominated once again, sixth year in a row for a podcast award. The most prestigious of all awards. You know what? I'll say this. It's getting there. Oh. No, not not most prestigious, obviously, but it has been. It has been taken over by a more reputable company. Is that true? Company. Yes, the New Media Expo. Okay. So they run things a little bit differently. I'll say this, to be nominated actually means something. I feel very proud to, to be nominated. Oh, good. Um, so we should stop talking shit about the podcast awards now. Did you guys yes. before? Oh, oh my yes. yes. Quite a bit. So much so we had to cut something out. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And so, uh, but if you wanted to, listeners, if you wanted to help me, uh, help me out, just go to podcastawards.com. Go on down to the religion category. Click on more than one lesson. Scroll down further. Put in your name and email address. They will send you a confirmation email. And uh, yeah, and you can do that once a day. So let's mobilize and get, get me that uh, trophy, which actually looks pretty good. Uh, my other podcast, um, it's nominated for a Pulitzer. It's called Hey, Watch This. It's As about, it should be. It's about TV. Uh, I don't know, because we're recording so far in advance, I don't know what we're talking about this week, but on the last episode, we talked about the new uh, Fox sitcom and um, greatest thing of the year so far, The Last Man on Earth. Ooh. And we talked about the return of Broadchurch, which is of this recording I haven't watched yet. So hopefully that is good. Um, I, my hopes aren't that high. That's it. Uh, Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.